This is Super Black. I am your host, Carl Waldron, and today I give my spoilerific review of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I truly appreciate you and your time. Please make sure to head over to super.black. Yes, super.black. That is the address for all your black fandom entertainment. Let's get into it. So, I am fresh off the heels. Is that the phrase? I'm fresh out of the theater from watching Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And I wanted to jump on the mic and get my thoughts down before I started criticizing the movie with my complete nerd analytical brain. Uh, from the jump, Wakanda Forever... Re- oh, before I start, we're going to cover spoilers. Uh, and I say we as in me. I am going to talk spoilers. I'm going to talk about things that happened in the film. I'm going to spoil certain things in the context of my thoughts. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, go out and watch it and then come back and and listen to this episode. Or, I mean, if you don't care, you can just listen anyway. Uh, if you don't care about spoilers, you know, some people don't. So that's your warning. Here we go. We're diving in. Uh, Wakanda Forever is a, a goodbye to Chadwick Boseman, uh, the original Black Panther, T'Challa. The movie opens with a pretty uh, tense scene of Shuri doing science things to try and save T'Challa, who we do not see. Uh, and he passes, and they do the ceremony. And I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not doing justice to the scene, uh, but just to kind of set up everything. they The movie does address the fact that T'Challa is gone. I mean, we, we've seen it in the, the trailers, but they do it in a way that makes it human. The first thing that I think a lot of people thought, and I've heard it on the internet, uh, is that, you know, oh, they can turn back time, but they can't cure a disease to save T'Challa. And it's easy to say that. And honestly, it's not a, it's, it's a pretty valid thing to say. But there's another level to it, I think, that the movie really helps get across in that T'Challa was a man in the fictional universe of the um, the MCU. And we had Chadwick Boseman. He was a man. He was a real person, flesh and blood, had a family, everything. And losing a single person in your life is devastating. And no matter how you want to kind of nerd your way through, well, why did they do this and how come they can't do that? And, and, you know, in this kind of fictionalized way, the argument becomes pretty irrelevant once the story kicks off and you see the impact of a death that can't be magicked away, you know? And, and that that says a lot when you come off of something like Endgame uh, all those years ago, or, or I should say Infinity War, when everyone was snapped away. You felt that. You felt 
I remember sitting in the theater with my friends and all those wonderful nerdy people watching the movie on uh, night one. And when people started fading away, and I, I don't know if it's irony, ironically, Black Panther fades away too. It it was affected. Like people were affected. We were all in shock and awe, and it was hard to comprehend. And then obviously in Endgame, everyone comes back triumphant and we get the comic book splash page. But then Wakanda Forever comes along and does it again. But it does it in a way that isn't comic booky. It's not magical. It's not... He, he doesn't die at the hands of, uh, you know, some evil villain or, or, you know, in space or anything. He dies like you or me or something, you know? it's It, beca- it becomes real for that opening scene they treat it as as you know Shuri and, and Queen Ramonda losing a brother and a, and a son it's devastating and it becomes kind of the crux of the film as we follow Shuri as she tries to deal with her brother's death she's she's not numb she's angry she's angry that she is so smart and she wasn't able to use the gifts that she was given to save her brother. And it kind of... Everyone, uh, from Queen Ramonda down to Okoye, trying to comfort her and kind of uh, get her get her mind right, and get her moving forward, they, can't, they, they tend to talk about tradition and ancestors and all this stuff, and she's, she's very dismissive of that. She says, you know you know the death is final and and there's nothing i could do to save she's very she feels very guilty i feel in the film um and that that comes around later on in the film which i'll talk about but um shuri definitely is the the crux of the film in terms of in terms of how i think uh we are meant to kind of grieve with her as she works through her her feelings this entire movie and the end of the movie does give her a bit of uh, clarity and allows her to move forward uh, in a in a really great way that I'll talk about in a second but from you know from jump they kind of do the the ceremony for T'Challa, and then we get into a kind of a B-plot that is, I wouldn't say overshadowed, but the moment uh, Namor comes on the scene, it does get kind of overshadowed. But it is an important thing. From the the first Black Panther movie, when at the end, when T'Challa and Wakanda open up their borders and they sort of start sharing knowledge and, and, and you know, opening up outposts and, and becoming less less secluded and more, you know, a global entity, it opened up Pandora's box, basically. And every nation now in the MCU sees the power, the might, and kind of the technological advancement of Wakanda, and they're jealous, and they're scared, and they want vibranium for themselves. And Wakanda is not with that. Wakanda's not giving out vibranium to, to, to anyone. They're not trading it. They're not selling it. They're not, you know, sharing resources, anything. 
and everyone's getting really upset. And they're they're trying to frame Wakanda as kind of a, I don't, I don't know what what the, the proper word would be, but they're trying to paint Wakanda as like we don't you know you could be building mass, weapons of mass destruction and we don't know. And Wakanda's like. Well, not why I say Wakanda as if it's a person, but Queen Ramonda, she says, look, we know, we already know the power of Vibranium. The problem is we don't know, we don't trust you with that power or devastation, which is, it's this uh, colonization subplot that is, you know, strong, you know, it's it's kind of it, it's a strong subplot, but it does get overshadowed once the the MCU's I would say first mutant comes onto scene, and that's Namor. Um, Namor in this film is an amazing character. The actor that plays um, Namor, and I'm I tried to say his name, and it was. A complete disaster. Uh, I think it's Tenoch Huerta. Um, Tenoch Huerta. I think Jose Tenoch Huerta. I'm I'm butchering it. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, but he delivers one of the coldest performances of a villain in the MCU that I've seen in a in a while. Uh, the entire film, I was nervous when he showed he showed up because he's so quiet. He has that quiet intensity. He does the monologuing like most villains do, but he does it in a way that you feel it's like you feel close to him, and and at the same time you know he's going to harm you, kind of thing where he's. He's, he's ingratiated, like, at some point he captures Shuri and Riri Williams, who we'll get to in a, in a moment, and he brings them to, uh, what is, you know, Atlantis. I don't know, I don't remember the name of the, the, the city, the capital city that they, they, they called, um, hold on, I'll look it up. But he brings them down there and he shows Shuri around and, He brings her back after he gives her the tour, basically, and says, look, here's the deal. I'm, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. He goes, look, I'm going to kill that girl in there, the scientist, Riri Williams. And there's nothing you can say or do to stop that. But I want you to understand why I'm going to do it. So he's already co- resigned himself to, to murder them. And he's like, look. She's, it has nothing to do with her. She, she built something. Basically, Riri Williams builds a vibranium detector, and it, they, the uh, United States sends, it, sends that detector down into the ocean. They find vibranium in the ocean where they didn't think they would, and Wakanda didn't know it was there. But that draws attention to what, you know, is Atlantis. Uh, Talokan, there you go. The, the capital city of Talakan. It, it starts bringing attention to both uh, Vibranium and Atlantis. So Namor says, look, I'm going to kill her and it has nothing to do with her. The fact that she built this thing 
all eyes are on Wakanda and now they're on the ocean and I won't endanger my people by having, you know, these people come strip us of resources, basically. And he's like, look, I understand that you are uh, your princess and you're, you're, you're trying to be noble, but I'll kill her. I'm going to kill her. But what I want from you is I want to align with you so that Wakanda and uh, Talokan can survive together because he was going to go up to the surface and do that old Namor trick and wage war on every surface person. That's that's Namor's whole gig is is coming out of the ocean and and just drowning us all. Um, So, yeah, he's he's a rough customer. He has an amazing entrance. Every time they're underwater, it looks ominous, yet homey. It's weird. Uh, the movie, the film itself has a lot to do. The film itself has to introduce Namor, again, the first mutant of Marvel. He's the first person to call himself a mutant. In the film, he says, I am a mutant. And he's not only introducing mutants to the MCU in no uncertain terms. He's also introducing the underwater city of Talokan and and Atlantis, basically. And the film is also setting up a conflict between Wakanda and every nation in the world who basically wants their resources. And then it's also introducing Riri Williams. We did a we I did an episode of the, the podcast on Riri Williams a couple weeks ago in preparation for the film to come out. And the, she does a great... She, she fits into the plot really well. Uh, the, the actress, Dominique Thorne, does a fantastic job of introducing Riri Williams and giving her a personality and, and you know, making her stand out. She's, she's a kid from Chicago. She has, you know, attitude and she has sass and she's brilliant. And, you know, she's she's an MIT student. She's she's everything, right? She she does a great job of introducing that character. The the issues show up when you realize that the scenes that she she is in are a vehicle to get us to the Ironheart series on Disney Plus next year, I believe. Either next year or the year after. This is her introduction to the MCU, and there is a moment where uh, Agent Everett, uh, I believe his name is, the, uh, from the first movie, he says, look, she's the only one who can build armors. I think his words were, we need a new armor, and she's the closest thing we've got. And I said to myself while watching the movie, well, they have Rhodey. He's the war machine. But... Rhodey inherited the War Machine armor from Tony. Once that breaks down, that's it. There's no one to build any new Iron Men, no new armors. So Riri Williams is literally the only one in the world who can get the United States a new Iron Man or Iron Woman or, as it were, Iron Heart. And I can only hope that she plays a critical role in the Armor Wars movie starring Don Cheadle and, and 
whoever the hell else they get to be in that thing. Like, she's going to be the one to, I assume, build the armors. But War Machine will be a part of that. And I hope that he can be sort of a mentor and guiding force for Riri Williams. That'd be really, really interesting uh, dynamic. Because, I mean, Don Cheadle, I don't think we give that man enough flowers. He gets a lot of flowers, especially from me. Um, but I don't think we give that that dude enough flowers. He can use all of them. He's a, such a fantastic actor and such a commanding presence, so he should be fun with, with Riri Williams. But back to the movie, there are a lot of scenes where it's obvious that they're kind of setting up how smart she is and how, you know, the things she can do for the series. And because of those scenes, we lose time with Namor, Talokan, the uh, colonization and uh, the, the kind of UN issues with Wakanda. It, it all kind of blurs together once you realize how many things are going on. I was able to follow the film as I was watching it. It was I didn't feel like I was missing anything, but a character like Namor does require some more setup. And we get a lot of flashbacks, obviously. Very quick, you know, unspoken flashbacks of his kind of ascent, his his birth, his uh, how he took how he was able to go to under underwater his people all this stuff they get very limited time enough time for you to get the gist but he's such an important character and by the end of the film he's like an extremely important character um that i think some of the scenes with riri would have been better served dedicated to him and the people of talokan especially at riri williams her presence is a MacGuffin. She's basically the catalyst. He, uh, Namor wants to kill her because she builds the uh, vibranium detector that goes into the ocean. But he even says, like, it doesn't even matter. She doesn't matter. It's not about her. It's about the fact that people are now coming down into the ocean looking for resources, and that's going to displace my people, and I won't have that. It happened before. I'm not going to allow it to happen again. So she, Riri Williams becomes inconsequential to the plot by Namor's own admission. And it, and it made me think, well, that could have been anybody. It could have been literally any, uh, any other character. It could have been a nobody. And we could have used the time that was dedicated to Riri uh, setting up um, Namor, his people, you know, what a day in life is like over there. We kind of get it when he gives Shuri the tour, but we kind of lose, we, we kind of lose some time there. But that's kind of a minor gripe and a, a fairly somber, tense, very emotional film that I thoroughly enjoyed. I don't think I've said that yet. I really liked the movie. I really enjoyed the movie. And I came away, I stepped away from the film with the the thought that in the pantheon of Marvel heroes who get a very hefty 360 degree look at their character that you completely understand who the person is Thor got it Iron Man got it and I think Black Panther has it 
you can make an argument for Steve Rogers, but I don't. Steve Rogers is very. There's not a ton of. Uh, I wouldn't say growth, but bends in his character. Steve Rogers is basically the same person from beginning to end. He becomes a little bit more weary by the end, but he is very he is very much Captain America from the moment he picks up that garbage can lid in the first movie to fight that bully to the moment he's sitting on that bench handing that shield over to the Falcon. He's Steve Rogers. Tony Stark has a lot of turns and, and ups and downs and you kind of see this character mold and shape from the you know weapon seller to the Iron Man hero to the world hero right same with Thor Thor started out as like the meathead uh, warmonger and then he became like this comedy guy but then underneath like there are scenes with Thor in was it Endgame no, in Infinity War, when he talks about, I've lost everything. I have nothing left. So I might as well kill Thanos kind of thing. Like he has very emotional moments and that inform why he acts the way he acts. The reasons why he's so carefree is that he doesn't feel he has anything to lose, but he won't stop doing the right thing. Black Panther and Wakanda get that same treatment not only Black Panther as like the hero, but the, the, just the character of Black Panther, the person in the suit, the the city of Wakanda, the Queen Ramonda, the, everyone gets like the most attention to detail. There are callbacks in the film to the from the beginning that when I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, that's what she was trying to do. I didn't understand what Shuri was trying to do at the start of the movie. I thought she was trying to print a heart. They, they mentioned some heart. and she, I thought she was printing a heart for T'Challa. But she was doing what she was trying to recreate the herb so that she can give the, the magic herb back to T'Challa to save his life. She was trying to synthetically create it in her lab. And she wasn't able to. She ends up creating it in her lab for herself to make herself the Black Panther. There's certain call. I mean, those you know that callback was a nice one. They 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 really round out the story of Okoye, who again does an amazing job in the film, and the introduction of the Midnight Angels, which is was a fun little nod and Easter egg to comic book nerds, was great. And having Okoye become that sort of spy like uh, Iron Woman thing was pretty cool um, but let's get into to one aspect that's just been bumping around in my mind as I jabbered on and on and on and on and on and on, and on. so I was speaking with Dan uh, before the film came out and we were wondering how one who would be the Black Panther before the trailers came out. We were like, well, who's going to be the Black Panther? And I said, you know, they can do anything. They could go, they, they have the multiverse. They can go to another universe and grab a different T'Challa. They could, um, who knows, clone them. They can do whatever. 
but I was really leaning on the fact that they they could just go to another reality and pull T'Challa from there, and it could be a different actor, you know. And then of course we were all like, well, it's probably going to be Shuri. It has to be Shuri because she was in the comics Black Panther. But this is why I'm not a writer. I think the the writers of this film did something that is so simple and so beautiful that I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought to it's such a simple idea I wouldn't have thought to write it and because they did they've they've ensured the Black Panther franchise for a while so Shuri becomes Black Panther she becomes um quote unquote queen and then I believe they it, they allude to the fact that she relinquishes her throne and they do a callback to the first movie where uh, Mbaku challenges for the throne of Wakanda which I thought again servicing um, that character really well we'll do a whole episode on Mbaku and kind of the, 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 the weird history of that character and how the Black Panther film and Ryan Coogler kind of saved that character along with Winston Duke. He does an amazing job in that role, but Shuri goes off to mourn her brother at the end of the movie. And then we get the credits and the mid credit scene after a nice song by Rihanna is, uh, man, I don't remember the character's name. Um, it was, Nakia. It was uh, Black Panther's girlfriend from the first one, Nakia, the spy. She introduces her son. Her son is the son of T'Challa. And she makes it known that, yes, you know, we, we couldn't, we had to be in secret. When he got sick, we couldn't go to Wakanda because it would have been too much you know, for the nation to introduce a prince at that time. And she says, you know, your father or T'Challa prepared us for his passing as well. And I thought that was an interesting line. He's like, he prepared us for his passing. And Shuri gets to meet her, her nephew. And he says to her, I hear you can keep a secret. He's like, Five or something, five or six. Obviously, it's from the, uh, the 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 time jump. And she says, "Yeah, I can keep a pretty good secret." And he says, "Well, my name. Oh boy, I forget this kid's name. The uh, his name is Toussaint." because he's living in, in Haiti. And he says, yeah, my name, that's not my name. My, that's my fake name. That's my, his, basically his secret identity. And she goes, oh, is that right? And then he goes, yeah, my name is Prince T'Challa, son of T'Challa. And there's like, 
a moment there where Shuri kind of recognizes what happens, and it took me a minute to recognize too, where the writers gave a gift. They paid homage to the Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman and that character. And at the end of this film, they give us the next T'Challa, who is the son of T'Challa. So the preparation that he did, that he made was to not only make another heir, to make an heir to the throne, but to make him a T'Challa. So the writers and, you know, the in, the in-universe character of T'Challa gave a gift to future nerds where they now have their own Black Panther, T'Challa, to carry on the mantle. That's not taking anything away from Shuri because he's, uh, he's five. He's not going to be Black Panther now. Shuri, Shuri is our Black Panther now. But at any time when they're like, when Shuri's no longer relevant to the story or the actress ages out or whatever the case may be, if they, they, they Steve Rogers her, basically, they put her on the bench, they have the next Black Panther waiting who will be T'Challa. Now, he will also have the legacy of Chadwick Boseman and that character. And... But, but still be far enough away where he can be his own version of the character. And I think that's a real gift. It's a real gift to nerds. It's a real gift to fans. It's saying, look, we understand we lost a great dude. We lost a great actor. And to honor him, his character had a son who he named, who is a junior, basically. Shout out to juniors out there like me. And he will grow up to be his own person, but will eventually be king of Wakanda and will be the, become the Black Panther. So we will have another T'Challa as Black Panther. And now it was such a beautifully simple idea that doesn't get the multiverse involved. It keeps it really human and it keeps it inside of the story where you're not magicking stuff away. They give you a legacy Black Panther. Ah, that was so good. Once that happened, I was like, man, they really get it. They were tying so many things together. Just M'Baku having his moment to become king and Shuri becoming the Black Panther and not taking revenge for the death of her brother and her mother. Spoilers, they kill friggin' Queen Ramonda. Look, before I get out of here, I'm going to stop rambling for a while. Angela Bassett is a national friggin' treasure. That, that amazing woman puts on a clinic in this movie. She, they, they give you a cut of her, her speech where she's, she yells, have I not given everything? You don't really get the full weight of that until you see why she says it and kind of in the context of the entire film she puts she puts people in their place she is magnificent in this movie and they give her a send off that 
I think she she basically saves Riri Williams, and in that she ends up passing away. She does the most, and I don't think we give her enough flowers. Angela Bassett is a damn treasure, and Queen Ramonda will be missed, but it does look like she's going to be in that astral plane, so she's not gone forever. And you know how I know she's not gone forever? Because they brought friggin' Killmonger back <laughs> as one of the astral plane's visitors. And he's still a jerk. And Michael B. Jordan is still killing it. And yeah, look, the movie is a fantastic ride. It's long. It's definitely very long. Uh, Namor is an amazing character, and he's going to play a factor in a lot of stories to come because he does. They don't they don't shelve him like they did uh, so many other villains in the past. They might Loki this guy and keep him around for quite a bit. I mean, the Illuminati does have to show back up, and he is part of it, I believe. Um, hopefully this actor is with the MCU for a long time um, Tenor Cuerta he does an amazing job as the world's first mutant everyone in the film is like moving mountains to make you feel stuff and before again before I go Winston Duke that he gets it that dude gets it. His character has gone from being that really aggro, uh, angry dude to being like a big brother to Shuri. And also comic relief. He's, oh, he was comic relief in the first movie. He's comic relief in this. The, his, first, no, his first or second line is one of the funniest lines in the movie. Uh, it, got, it got me cracking up. Um, Winston Duke, another actor, needs a bunch of flowers. Anyway. We've covered quite a bit of the movie. It's a fantastic movie. Go out and watch it. Uh, hopefully when uh, Dan sees it and more people see it, um, we'll do a joint cast and we'll talk about our thoughts on the film. I'll actually take notes and we'll do a whole thing. But that will bring us to the end of our spoiler cast for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, and they do yell out Wakanda Forever, just so you know. Um, because if you were afraid they wouldn't, they totally did. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you. I'll catch you next time. Full stop. <laughs>